Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, episode 44, Ryan Ray here, not alongside Josh Shelton today, unfortunately, he is... Well, he's not having a baby, but his wife is having a baby, and so um, he will not be joining us today and probably will take off a few weeks. You know, Josh, he likes to milk every single opportunity he can, but we are excited um, for the Sheltons to welcome in their new baby boy, and hopefully by the time this podcast is out, um, Mrs. Shelton will be through delivery with a safe and healthy baby. So anyway, so that's where Josh is at today, Um, but... That doesn't mean that I'm taking off, as you know, that one of us has to work around here, and it's obviously not Josh, so I will be here for today. We will have on Weston Martinez in just a minute, but first, let's thank our sponsor, which is R&D Pipe Company. If you missed my sit-down with Ron Underwood from R&D Pipe Company, go back to the beginning of January, check it out. Great site, great insight. You can learn more about the people there, what they do. Um, if you're into the OCTG market, you know, you really need to be connecting with R&D Pipe Company. You can contact them at OCTG.net. Or you can call them, 281-355-6795. That's 281-355-6795. They are in Spring, Texas. And just a real quick side note, I head down to their office the other day and, um, for, a, for a meeting. And, um, you know, I, I called to see who all was going to be there. And, um, you know, they were telling me who's there. And they said, Ron's, Ron drove down to, to Corpus. And this was, you know, when Houston was frozen over. They said that they said that he had a meal visit or something he had to do. So you know what the the the, the sleet or snow or whatever all was going on in Houston didn't stop Ron from getting up and going. But that's just kind of the kind of people they are at R and D Pipe Company. So be sure to thank them, follow them. Uh, you can find them online and all this stuff at OCTG Products. That's them. If you're curious more about them, you really need to go hear Ron. He's been in the business a long time. Very insightful man on what is going on in the industry, which leads me to a couple of things about the industry. NAPE is just around the corner, February 5th through 9th. I will be there some of the week, maybe all the week. I'm not sure yet, but I will be there for sure some of the week. If you're going to be there and you want to connect, Ryan at GlobalEnergyMedia.com would love to meet with you and um, would love to hear more about what you have uh, going on down there. Is, is I'm kind of excited about this NAPE. I expect it to be a really big turnout. I've talked to some people in the industry and they are excited as well. Also, um, next week, next Friday, by the time this comes out, you're going to hop on this. We, we think we've kind of sold out all the teams at the OHH events next Friday, but if you're interested in shooting your pistol, hey, this is the spot for you. Next Friday, they have an event. Um, all the details, you know, you can find. We'll link to something in the show notes. You can go find it there. Um, I know this has kind of taken off since we talked about it on social media. We've heard a good response. I think all the teams might be sold out. They might have one or two. I'll be there next Friday, though, and would love to meet up with you if you're there. Um, so let me know. We can maybe sit down and, and chat. I don't think I'll get to shoot, but I will be there uh, hanging out. Um, I don't I don't know if we got any reviews this week. Josh is kind of in, in charge of that department. But if you didn't leave us a review, now's a great time. Josh needs something to read while this new baby keeps him up at night. And so, please, a written review in iTunes with five stars would be perfect. It would make Josh's life a little bit easier than it already is um, over these next couple of weeks as he welcomes in that new baby boy. So, a written a written review in iTunes. Also, you can find the show on Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and of course, the Spreaker app, which hosted, you can download it and get notifications right there in the Spreaker app, which is S P R E 
A-K-E-R. And hey, we mentioned before on Alexa. We're on Alexa now. So if you want to download the Spreaker app on Alexa, I think you can get it from there. So that is kind of what's going on. A lot of stuff, busy time, exciting time. And, um, you know, it's really a good time to be in the industry right now with uh, prices going up and um, a lot of buzz as we go into 2018, which is what we expected. Let's turn to a couple headlines now. Our first story comes from Wisconsin, which is kind of Sounds surprising, but Wisconsin Public Radio, and it's a short article. We'll link to all these in the show notes, but it's a short article talking about uh, Wisconsin frac sand producers and these Texas frac sand mines. That we've talked about this before on the show about some of these mines that are coming online, and there's really a threat to the Wisconsin producers that a lot of these Texas mines might take up some of the market share. In the article, they estimate it could be as much as 50% of the Wisconsin frac sand market could go away to Texas producers. They don't feel that the market could go all the way away just because of the different types of sand and stuff like that, and you still need some of that Wisconsin sand. But, hey, this is kind of that thing that you got to watch, if you're, especially if you're in the business and you're trying to figure out how, um, you know, like with, with Mr. Underwood a few weeks ago, you know, um, indicators to watch for. This is a different indicator. You know, if, if you see this transition from um, Wisconsin sand to local sand, well, hey, us in Texas, we're excited. That's more local jobs for us. Um, and it might, it, you know, it could change um if you read the article it talks about you know they need the certain types of sand for different types of drills um so it's one of those things that you can sit back and maybe kind of follow along um, what kind of sand is being used how much is being used and uh from kind of a thirty thousand foot view what's going on with that market our next story and to me probably the biggest one of the week that i've seen at least from well what josh gathered for us was the news from energy transfer partners i always call them etc so i might slip up here, but ETP, if you will, sold their compression business for $1.8 billion. That's Josh Shelted money, ladies and gentlemen, $1.8 billion um, to a company called USA Compression Partners. Now, there is some stock and some cash. The cash is $1.225 billion, which is pocket change for our compadre, Josh Shelton. Um, but it's a big deal here. And, you know, ETC, if you remember, they've been in the headlines a lot. North Dakota Access, all the problems with that. Um, not not from their standpoint, but it's from you know, regulate, regulators and things like that. So interesting move here to see what's going on. Um, I'm not really sure what this means long term for ETC. I haven't, I'll, I'll be curious to see. Uh, the next quarterly filings, what they say about this, and uh, kind of follow this along because I know that ETC, um, you know, anytime you unload an asset like that for $1.8 billion, you know, there's, it's an interesting strategy. You have an interesting strategy that either you're trying to maybe shirt some debt or you're looking to expand in other areas, and this is no longer part of your plan. So I'd be curious to see how this shakes out for ETC. But for our listeners who are in the compression business, hey, this is some some interesting news and potentially exciting news, depending on which side of the deal you fall on. Uh, from USA Compression standpoint, this is going to really kind of um, allow them to work more in the Eagleford, the Gulf Coast, the Rockies, and the Permian Basin. And so it's really expected to be um, you know, a good boom, obviously, for their their side of the business. And they say that they expect this deal to be closed in the first half of this year. Next story comes to us from San Angelo. If our listeners in San Angelo, first off, thank you for listening. Second off, U.S. Well Service is going to be opening office there. And so if you are in San Angelo, be sure to check out them. Um, they're, you know, reading this headline, this is from San Angelo Live. It's kind of a big deal. You know, folks out there are really excited about this, and this will be um, you know expansion to that area. So I won't talk about it much. We'll link to the show notes, but there it is. And finally, our good friend Sergio Chapa talking about the Austin Chalk. Austin Chalk, that is. Um, 
I will link to this in the show notes as well. We talked about the awesome chalk before, and there is some interesting stuff going on there. I'm not going to steal Sergio's thunder, um, and because I don't have Josh, it's a little hard to kind of break through all of the points. But if you hadn't followed the awesome chalk, it might be a time now to kind of follow what's going on there. So we'll link to this article by Sergio in the show notes as well. A lot of interesting stuff, again, heading uh, from this week, but kind of breezing through it without Josh. It's a little harder to get to everything. Um, I will say this before we go any further is that, you know, we had on Weston Martinez uh, a couple weeks ago. It was supposed to be the last week of December, and it was um, 100% my fault that the audio messed up and it didn't work, and, and so we didn't have him on. But I want to be clear, Josh and I, we kind of we covered some things that we can't cover today because Josh isn't here. But I, I want to go back through and cover those. Um, and the first thing is, is that this is not an endorsement of Weston or an endorsement of Christy Craddock. You know, we're not endorsing either candidate. I'm not even sure if we're going to endorse a candidate, period, at this point. We haven't really, as Global Energy Media, hasn't really sat down and taken a stance on how Wahanlis probably won't endorse anyone, if I had to guess, um, publicly on the show. Um, and so... Um, but we, we we might, but we're just we're not interested in that right now. Really, what we're doing today, and hopefully we can get Christy on as well, um, is just kind of telling you what they think, um, you know, why they they're a good candidate, stuff like this. One of the things I told Weston last time, and I'll, I'll say it again now, I'll say it when he's on, it doesn't matter to me, is you know, I, if you've listened to the show, you should know by now, I really don't trust politicians. Um, that's kind of my standard mo. I you know, I don't have a, I don't really think very highly of politicians, and so um, you know, especially the ones that um, that disagree with me, but <laughs> The ones who do agree with me, you know, I even have a kind of a, a funny eye towards them because it's sometimes I'm afraid they're they're pandering to what I want to hear. So um, this is definitely not an endorsement of Mr. Martinez. It is just a platform to give him to, to, to say, you know, hey, why why should folks vote for him? And then hopefully we'll get on Ms. Craddock as well. Now, I know there was talk of debate. Um, you know, if, if there is interest from both sides, the Texas and Guest podcast would be happy to facilitate a debate between these two candidates. I don't know. We don't want to do a ton of railroad commissioner politics on this show, but it did seem like this is kind of catching a little bit of steam, and so we wanted to cover it, um, and then we'll move on from there. The railroad commissioners are always welcome on our show to talk about business and what's going on in the state, but, you know, the campaign stuff really isn't our cup of tea. Um, but, you know, we, we do need to touch on it, so hopefully you understand that. Questions, questions, questions. We need your questions. Ryan at GlobalEnergyMedia.com. Please send me your questions. Ryan at GlobalEnergyMedia.com. would love to get the questions. We have our next question show in just a few weeks, and so um, we need to get our questions in. I saw we have a listener from Australia. Thank you, sir, for listening. Um, and so we, we got your email in um, while I was on the road in Houston, and so I was really excited to see that. And um, and got your question. So it will be in the hopper um, for our next our next um, set of questions, which is, I, I believe, February the – it's somewhere. Is, is it the – I don't know if it's the um, – let me see here. If it's the, the if it's before I go to Nape or after I go to Nape. But it will be – yeah, February 2nd will be the first Friday. Jesse from Australia, thank you so much for writing in, and we will be sure to – um, get your question on the air. So if you have questions, please send them in. Ryan at GlobalEnergyMedia.com would love to hear your questions. It helps us understand more about what you guys want to know on um, you know, what you want us to talk about. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up and get ready for Weston to come on. Um, and again, be sure to leave us a rating and review in iTunes. If you could, we'd really appreciate that. And we want to thank our sponsor one more time, which is R&D Pipe Company. And I should say that our sponsor is also not endorsed in Weston, um, um, at least on this show. They're, they're, they're just here sponsoring the Texas Gas Podcast, helping us get this show out. Oh, 
Instagram. I need to plug that. Folks, you got to forgive me. It's a little bit hard <laughs> without Josh here to kind of get through everything um, as normally we would. So Instagram, Text One Guest Podcast. Please follow us there. We have some splendid new tumblers that we'll be giving one away next week probably, and we are selling them at cost plus shipping. Um, so if you want to pick one up, you can follow us on Instagram at Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. And um, again, thank you so much for listening. We'll have Weston, and then we'll just close it out whenever I get through with Weston, more than likely, unless there's something that needs to be addressed. Okay, as promised, we are bringing... It's, it's kind of back on. <laughs> Weston's been on the show before, <laughs> but it didn't it didn't go out to the world. That's our fault, Weston, and we've apologized. But we'll apologize again. That's 100% my fault. And so thank you again for uh, taking time out for us and, and joining us on the program today. Hey, I appreciate it. You know, some, it's like being on a frack. Sometimes you got to get pushed off the frack, and sometimes you got you can get back on. So I'm thankful we're able to get back over the hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, real quick, before we kind of get into the uh, the meat of the discussion, if you will, why don't you kind of give a you know quick overview of what you're currently doing as far as your what, what positions you're serving, what your background is, and then I want to kind of dive into some of the issues. Sure, absolutely. You know, um, you know, thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for your listeners. You know, it's, it's very important that we – uh, do a better job, in my opinion, and I think social media like this is, is helping. Uh, the oil and gas industry has to do a better job of letting people know all the good they do. You know, if the liberal loonies knew how much oil and gas regulations went into pipeline installation, they'd stop protesting them, and uh, they'd start thanking uh, big oil and and small operators for all of the all the regulations they follow and all the things they do every day when nobody's looking to drill responsibly and to help make Texas energy independent. Um, I'm actually, I'm actually in uh, San Antonio today. I was in Midland yesterday, uh, yesterday, no day before, sorry, it's going fast. Uh, I was in Odessa two days ago. We had a great meeting in Odessa, uh, with a bunch of the leaders out there yesterday. And, um, you know, when we're out on the campaign trail, we let people know, you know, I'm a conservative Republican here from San Antonio, Texas. People say, well, are you, I thought there were no conservatives in San Antonio. And uh, that's not that's not true. Uh, my wife and I have five kids, and so there's at least seven of us in San Antonio <laughs> that are conservative Republicans. And uh, we also sometimes we refer to it as Sodom and Gomorrah, so people get uh, they kind of know where I'm talking about. Um, but served on the Republican Party of Texas for a couple of years, um, uh, worked against uh, voter fraud, uh, worked for having uh, Texas uh, rules and regulations be followed. Um, so served in that capacity, uh, worked in the legislature, uh, getting different bills in, uh, in place. Uh, I actually worked on having a, uh, a bill to increase voter fraud to a felony one and uh, also worked in um, getting a, a bill passed that made human trafficking a death penalty offense. So being in the conservative movement and serving on the Republican Party of Texas, uh, you know, certainly learned my way around the legislature and things we need to do from that. Uh, I served as real estate commissioner for the last six plus years uh, statewide for the state of Texas, serving under Governor Perry and, and then Governor Abbott. And um, my term concluded uh, about two and a half months ago. But uh, it allowed me the ability to execute the roles and responsibilities of a commissioner because the Railroad Commission and the Real Estate Commission, functionally, they function in the exact same way that the legislature uh, provides them to function. And, you know, you have, you have license holders, you have a public responsibility, you have the responsibility of, you know, taking legislative directive 
and putting that, uh, you know, putting that out on the street. Uh, you also have enforcement issues and, um, you know, knowing when, uh, knowing, you know, how the enforcement issues work is a very key and important role. And, you know, and my time as commissioner, we actually lowered fees. Uh, we made it more business friendly and we had an opportunity to, um, you know, serve the, serve the citizens of Texas and provide a better product. So, uh, and that was in the midst of great, um, you know, great growth in the real estate sector. I mean, we had more than 10,000 new uh, realtors a year applying to be realtors and uh, all that while maintaining, you know, a staff of, you know, right over 250 um, and a pretty significant budget as well. By the way, I was uh, on the budget committee chairman for a couple of years at the uh, track commission. So my, my track record of a commissioner is much different than that of my opponent. So again, I reduced fees. She raised fees. Uh, I made the IT systems that actually worked. Regretfully, she did not. And, um, but again, that's a very important background for, that qualifies me to, be, to do this job and be able to do it on day one. And, um, you know, technically, I've got the most, uh, seen the most tenure as serving as a commissioner for the state of Texas between the two of us in this race. But while that's certainly important to, to the listeners and voters, you know, to add on to my conservative credentials, you know, the fact that I actually, you know, have been a commissioner and know how to do the job. The more important thing is uh, I actually started services companies down the Eagleford Shale when the uh, when that was blowing up. And so I've, you know, I've actually signed the, the front of the check, not just the back of the check. And uh, being involved in that uh, allowed me to uh, get into the industry in a way that I had not before. Um, and so that was very, very fun, very exciting, a lot of hard work. And um, my, my background prior to that, I'd been in the regulated telecom industry for over 20 years as an engineer for AT&T, where I dealt with you know, installing infrastructure. Uh, and again, whether you're installing pipelines or whether you're installing uh, fiber optic or copper lines, you know, some of that, some of that work and problems you face are very similar, but, um, in the oil and gas business, uh, you know, I was able to take some of my background that I learned professionally and, you know, cross apply it into the oil and gas business. And, um, it was really, it was really fun. Uh, I was able to solve some problems for, uh, asked to solve problems for some of the oil and gas companies. And that has uh, brought me into doing business development for different groups. Um, we've got a you know, downhole tool that we've been working on bringing to market for a company. Um, and just, you know, I'm not an expert uh, by any means, uh, but, you know, I at least have an understanding of what we're doing. And, and, you know, Ryan, I appreciate groups like you guys because you're educating people and you're making people uh, more aware. So my background, again, being a conservative, being a commissioner, and, uh, and having real-world oil and gas experience um, is really exciting for people because they say, Weston Martinez, you know, you, know, you weren't on a, on, a work, on a workover rig for the last 30 years. No, I wasn't. But, you know, when I was a kid, I helped, I helped my dad gauge stripper wells down in South Texas because that's the only way you could pay for range cubes or hay bales. And, uh, you know, but uh, that, was, that was my extent of being in the oil field growing up. Uh, but it was, you know, certainly good memories. And uh, now taking all those things and applying them are very important because in the race for the railroad commission, uh, which by the way, one of my main uh, planks is changing the name 
so we can be more transparent. Uh, I believe we should change the name of the Railroad Commission to something that makes sense. There's plenty of operators and Texans that agree with me. I like the sound of the Texas Energy Independence Commission. Um, and But also, we have to make sure that the other thing is that we're providing, uh, you know, we're supporting oil and gas operators that are that are doing a good job. You know, we need to support them and provide them, for example, you know, an IT system that works. I mean, the POP system that's in place today, it's it's a thirty million. It's the part of a thirty million dollar failure, in my opinion, and doesn't do what we really uh, what we really want it to do. And the third thing is making sure that <clears throat> we're not picking winners and losers as a regulator. You know, being you know being on the on my commission for over six years, you know, I knew that we had to make decisions that were um, that were prudent and fairly applicable all the way across. And in the railroad commission, you know, there's a lot of people that. You know, they, they truly believe that Pioneer and Oxy are treated differently than, uh, you know, than your small independent that is in East Texas, South Texas, or West Texas. And um, we're not going to be picking winners and losers. A big issue before the commission right now is that um, you've got my opponent that has pulled an agenda item, and they are looking at setting the price for common carriers. And <clears throat> that, is not, that is not free market government principles. Um, that is a slippery slope, and you want to talk about a job-killing idea, that's one of them. So, you know, my experience as a commissioner, my conservative credentials, and most importantly, my experience in the oil and gas field, while it's a new experience, um, it is real experience, and, uh, you know, we look forward to serving the state of Texas and making it a better place. Okay, well, thank you for that. Let's kind of get into a little bit of the um, less friendly questions, if you will. I think I think for me, one of the things on the show is, you know, if, you, if any of our listeners know that when you talk about taxes and government spending, um, I, I, I'm going to be probably about as conservative, if you want to use that term, as you're going to find on the radio or podcast or whatever you want to call this platform. Um, so I, I want to start there because you've mentioned the name change. Now, um, I've been in the oil and gas business for over a decade, and you know, we changed our company's name at one point um, to sound like we weren't working out of our house. You know, we had an old family business and we changed the name to kind of make it where people understood that we were a legitimate business. Now we were a small business. And so doing that cost us in man hours and in dollars, you know, probably upwards of, I don't know, you know, five to ten thousand dollars and then and then you had all these contracts we had to go back and do. So when you talk about changing the name, I understand the practical point. It's you're saying, hey, I want to change the name so people can figure out, you know, who the Texas Railroad Commission is and what they do. And you, you I know you have your name you mentioned there, but to me, I'm going to guess this is going to be a multiple hundred thousand dollar venture from the, the, the cost to get everything redone, reset up, um, the time, the energy, the effort. And, and it's, I, I can't see how a conservative can vouch for spending that kind of money um, to, just to change the name on something. When you Google Texas oil and gas, the first few things that come up are the Railroad Commission already. So it's not like it's a – it might be a secret if you don't know, but if, you, if you're actually trying to look it up, it comes up pretty quickly. So what would be your response to that? So a couple of things. One, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, we we believe in investing. We believe in investing in our future. Uh, we need to invest more in our people. And you know, the money that we there's several reports that have been done. Um, one, a couple reports said it would cost zero dollars, and the highest report that came out said it would cost uh, right at four hundred thousand dollars. And when you look at a couple of things, number one, think about you know the you know one of the, the big pipelines that were held up by by liberals that didn't know what was going on. I mean, we know that when you look at uh, at pipelines, if you hold up pipeline installation, not only are you 
putting people out of work, but you're also stopping assets from getting to market. And if you, if you couple that with, you know, how much money we're going to generate as a state and just by avoiding those kinds of frivolous lawsuits, number one, and also avoiding uh, holdups on pipeline installations because the people that don't care to go look for uh, who's regulating, they just go off the assumption that, hey, the train people, you know, they're regulating the oil and gas. Well, even if they know that, do they really think that the train people have any credibility with, uh, with regulating oil and gas? So when I look at the dollars that we're going to save by being transparent and by letting people know who is in fact in charge of regulating that industry, um, we're going to save dollars very, very much so. So the cost of the cost of it is not something that is going to be big. And when we look at the, when we compare the two, I mean, my opponent put a tax on the industry when the barrel was at the lowest it's been in 30 years and tried to justify it that they needed more money. So, and that's generating like $3 million a year in tax revenue to the, uh, to the agency. So technically, if you want to, if you want to apply it that way, I could tell you that I'm going to get that tax repealed, which is going to save $3 million a year in payment by the industry. So technically one month's worth of, uh, worth of that fee being out of place more than covers the expense, even at the worst possible scenario. Cause look, you know, we're talking about, you know, a couple of trucks at the district offices. Uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, some name change on some letterhead, but the benefit that we're going to get out of it is, is going to be, uh, it's going to be really, really, really good for us. But I, I agree, you know, if there wasn't a way for me to pay for that, uh, pay for that expense, worst case scenario, uh, and it was going to be something that wasn't going to provide us any benefit long term. Uh, I would not support it. I'm actually a zero-based budget kind of guy, and uh, you know, I already told you that I'm a free market uh, conservative business guy. So it's a good question uh, to 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 confirm uh, my motives of why I would want to change the name if there's an expense associated with it. So uh, the money we're going to save on the tax, you know, 20 times covers uh, what it's going to cost us to do the name change. So I guess technically it'd be a uh, a, uh, a net neutral uh, expense. Yeah, I mean, I guess a couple things there. First, I would be, okay, repeal the taxes. You're not going to find me arguing against that. So, okay, that's great. Um, but to say it costs zero dollars is, 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 I mean, I don't know how anything could cost zero dollars in business because you got, t- you know, you got manpower. Budget, time. What's that? Uh, so the, the, uh, the legislature did three studies and one of the studies came back and they said it was going to cost zero dollars to change the name. And one of the other studies came back to say that it was going to cost 400000 You and I both know it's not going to cost zero. And you know what? If you run it right, it's probably not going to cost you 400000 But I wanted to you know, use that as the, as the high watermark on the expense side of it, of what, it was, of what they're projecting it's going to cost. Um, so... Yeah, it's impossible for it to cost zero. Just the fact they did a study costs money because <laughs> I mean the taxpayers are paying for this stuff, and so the, our our money is going to do that. Now you can say that money's are allocated or whatnot, but to me sometimes we get we get a little bit slippery with how we look at this stuff, and you know the money is being taken. Man, I, for, to, I totally agree. And so so to say cost yeah. zero would be uh, it, it means that someone just doesn't know how to do basic math. Um, and you know how much it costs, I don't know. It depends on how invasive the change is and stuff. I would I'm going to guess it's going to cost probably a little bit more uh, than zero. Will cost four hundred thousand? I don't know all the forms and regulations and stuff, but I just know that that well, is just, a, well, that is a long-term clear, process. Just to, be clear, I didn't, just to be clear, I didn't say it was going to cause zero. I said that no, two reports were done, right. and one report said zero, one report said 400. I'm very, I'm a common-sense business guy, and, uh, you know, 
knowing that a government employee did the study, uh, you know, I'd, I'd want to I'd scrub the numbers myself. But here's what I do know. The operators today are paying $300,000 a month for a fee for a service that was provided for free for years. And that is something that is we're going to take back. And again, to your point, your listeners, uh, you know, you could say that, okay, one month's worth of no fees on the industry uh, is going to pay for the entire change on the worst possible scenario that's been calculated thus far. Right. Again, you're not you're not going to get me to argue you <laughs> on cutting back taxes. You're going to get me supporting you on that always. I will say this: the final thing is on your point about preventing lawsuits. I don't. I, I, I got to be honest with you. I don't think that that's going to help anything. Um, especially there's certain groups that are going to sue the oil and gas industry regardless of what they do. So if you call it the oil and gas industry of Texas or the Texas Energy Commission or whatever, I, I really don't think that that's a, a, a an argument to change the name. Just because I know folks on the left that I, I, I like and respect and are very thoughtful people and some of them who understand the necessity for oil and gas have told me that the circles they run in it doesn't matter you know that hey look people don't understand the need for it how it works how vital it is to our economy so i don't think that changing the name is going to prevent um a lot of lawsuits i don't know what i'm missing there but i really think that some of these groups i mean if you follow someone like bill mckibben on twitter um you know it doesn't matter what you say about oil and gas you know literally if, if you worked out what that guy wants in life We'd go back to the Stone Ages because he doesn't care, at least in practice. Of course, he flies all over the world, and so he's not he's not practicing what he preaches. But but but, but in reality, what he says, you know, changing the name of the Texas Oil and Gas Railroad Commission, uh, take the Railroad Commission to something else, Texas Energy Alliance or whatever you said it was a minute ago, it's not going to stop him from suing you or the Sierra Club from suing you. They're still going to sue you, and then we've paid the money to change the name. So what am I missing there on but that the, angle? But because, so what you're the part that you're missing is that you know I have people contact me every week. Hey, I'm glad you're running against Sid Miller. I'm glad you're running against George P. Bush. Um, you know, we're glad you're, you know, my dad worked for, uh, for Union Pacific for years, and I'm so glad to have a conservative business guy running the Railroad Commission. And so there is a, there is a great misinterpretation by the general public. Uh, and, and I've talked to people, even in the industry, they're like, dude, change the name. It's out of the Stone Ages. Let people know that we're not asleep at the wheel. And let people know that we're actually doing our job. And, you know, if you think about the 22 million Texans that are out there right now, if I put you on the spot and said, how many people know what the Railroad Commission does, what's the number you would say? I would say that no one knows that number. So I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, no, I mean 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 20%, 10%, 10, 20%. Okay, 20%. Yeah. All right. So out of the, out of the, out of the 20%, out of 22 million people, right? We've got 80% in the entire state of Texas that have no clue what we do. And my idea is to change the name via a constitutional amendment so that there's no fee involved in us. Uh, so we, you know, doing part of that, uh, the legislature already has it allocated. And by doing that, you're educating that 80% of people that have no clue what the Railroad Commission does. So now we're actually providing layers of insulation around the agency in the public arena so that if something comes out, uh, you know, like the seismicity study that SMU came out with a couple of years ago that was, uh, you know, not based in sound science, it was actually based in, in a liberal university. You know, if we take something like that that comes out and, you know, the general soccer mom happens to be reading it on the way to pick up her kids, well, then she'll, she would have been educated to know that, hey, well, we've got the Texas Energy Independence Commission that's on top of that. 
And, you know, for these people to say nobody's watching seismicity, well, that's stupid. Um, so, it, again, it's about bringing government sunshine. And, you know, it speaks to a bigger issue. Contrastly, uh, my opponent wants to keep the agency mired in secrecy. I mean, she wants to keep people from knowing about the votes that she's taking that are uh, related to oil companies that her dad sits on the board of directors of. So, you know, we there's a big to me, there's there's several reasons why um, government and the sunshine accountability. Uh, you know what? Those are those are worth money well spent so the people can know what we're doing in the state of Texas and who's doing it. Yeah, one final thing on that, and we'll move on because I don't want to belabor the, the name change point too much longer. But um, sure. I, I would just say if you went to any state, I could start naming off random commissions. And even if the name was abundantly clear, most citizens would not know what that commission did, what its jurisdiction is. Um, and, and, of course, there's a whole different discussion about the validity of some of these commissions. But So, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Hey, we can change the name. People would understand it. But I would still say if you go to Louisiana, um, you ask the citizens there, what, what's the com- commission that oversees that? I, I, almost no one knows um, what the commission there is in Louisiana. Louisiana, of course, Louisiana's got its own problems, but that, I, I don't. So I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I also think that practically most people don't really care. Um, and so, just to change the name to say that we're well, 20% to 60%, I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think most people are generally interested in the name of these commissions. And if we could name off other commissions, uh, if you ask someone what the real estate commission did that you serve on, they'd say, "Well, it oversees the real estate industry." And you say, "Well, what does that mean?" Well, I don't, I don't know. Just, I mean, it oversees it. But, at, so least, I, but at least, but at least, they, but at least they know. That, at least they know. The general topic that it regulates. True, right? but, DPS, yeah, Department but I mean, of Public Safety. Right. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess we're going to split hairs on this. Yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying. I don't. I, to me, it's not, it's, it's it's not that um, the transparency issue, which we can touch on in a second. I think is a big issue. Um, but regardless, you, you're running you're you're running on it. I want to press you on it. Um, I think that's the that and I appreciate that's you my, I, and I appreciate you willingness to answer these questions <laughs> again for the second yeah, time. Yeah, well, so. and 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 no, absolutely. And look, you know. I, you know, I appreciate you asking the question because, you know, too many times people have been told, you know, do this because I said that that's not who I am. I, I am totally willing to tell you where I stand. You know, you know, if you're an operator, you know, what I tell you in my office is the same thing I'm going to tell you in the public meeting. Uh, that's not what's happening today at the commission. So, you know, that's what those people want to know about. They want to know that, look, this guy really is for transparency, even if it means drawing attention to the agency. Uh, you know, I mean, look, put in perspective, right? With with, with about a seventy million dollar a year budget, four hundred thousand dollars is not a lot of money, especially when Christy Craddock spent thirty million dollars on an IT system overhaul that was a failure. Um, you know, at least we can look at doing something that's going to make going to make sense for the operators and uh, make their life a little better. Right. Okay, well, let's move on. One of the things on your platform, and I've talked on this show before and on other shows, is you talk about property rights. And I think this, for me, is one of the things um, you, you said early on, we got to educate the public. And one of the things we said on this show and I said on other shows is that as oil and gas professionals, A, we need to do a couple things. One, we have to let the outsiders know that oil and gas is not made up of Exxon and ConocoPhillips or Shell. I mean, obviously, they're huge companies in the industry, but they're just regular folks that make up the industry, right? They, but what? But why, but why do we need to let them know? I mean, we don't need to change the name, right? Well, that's the, well. The, the, we get we're not changing the name from oil and gas industry to non oil and gas industry. The, the, 
Um, I'm just having fun with you. No, 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 I, no, no, <laughs> no. You, medi- no maybe it's the medicine kicking in, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like it. Um, but we need to let them know, which is one of the things that we do on the show. Is we say, hey, you know, there's just normal people, and you know, when you talk about now, I'm not now. The difference is, I'm not saying that the government should pay for that. And that would be the fundamental difference. Is I don't, I'm not saying the government should be spending my dollars to do just about any of that stuff. So that would be the issue. I'd say. Yeah. Um, but no, but our show, we're not taking government money. We're doing it on our own free will, and so we want to educate right. the public. Um, that says, hey. You know, it's just normal folks out there that are doing these things, they're doing good services. Um, but property rights is, is tied up with this argument, and here's why. One of the problems I think that we have as the oil and gas industry, when you look at the, the outside perception of big oil, is that big oil can buy government, you know, whether it's the state or the federal level. Um, property rights to me, as someone who works for oil and gas companies, but property rights for me, the landowners having secure property rights are the thing that kind of bring the balance back to the public to protect them from government or the big companies. Um, what is your stance on property rights? I know you talk about it a little bit on your website, but I want you kind of flesh it out. Why is it an important issue? And uh, maybe some things that people aren't aware of when you talk about property rights? Sure. So, I mean, look, I I really believe, and this is another reason for, for changing the name, you know, the people that, that have the mineral leases today, I mean, it might just be, you know, kids that live in, you know, another part of the United States. You know, they might not be, they might not have ever lived on that ranch before. And, and you know, so they're just, you know, they just, all they see is, you know, hey, I got this, you know, this was damaged by this operator coming in and, you know, why didn't they fix it? And, um, you know, and then you've got, so you got the surface owners, the mineral owners, then you got the operators. And I truly believe that you have to respect property rights. You have to respect mineral rights and you have to respect the operator's ability to go out there and, uh, and do the drilling. And I truly believe that if you create an environment of accountability and transparency, like I talk about primarily, that you're going to see that those people, they're all on the same side of the table. Um, that's a, and I think that's a very big, uh, that's something that the media, you know, they love to turn people against each other. And then they love to even go further than that. And they try to say that, you know, well, we as a city, you know, we should regulate drilling that happens in our, in our city. And they forget that the city is made up of a sovereign state and the state has jurisdiction. And so, um, you know, we need to let people see they're on the same side of the table. You know, to get real specific on, on what needs to happen on property rights, I think there's a, there's a big deal um, when we talk about, you know, statewide Rule 40 update and, uh, you know, updating those rules to, uh, you know, to make development of those tracks within those multiple pay zones e- easier. I think that you know, I've talked to not, not only, you'll be surprised, <laughs> I've talked to not only mineral owners, but I've also talked to uh, operators that they'd like to see a Rule 40 update, um, again, so that we can be more transparent. And, uh, you know, I think that we have to do that, and we have to make sure that we're keeping things, uh, you know, keeping things going. The other way I think that we help take care of property rights is by getting more inspectors closer to hot zones like we've got in Pecos. I mean, look, the Midland District Office, I mean, they need more staff, they need more resources. They're wildly overwhelmed. And if you've got you know, uh, inspectors that are that are more in the field, then you're going to give property right owners uh, a more sense of uh, security that, you know, hey, people aren't just willy-nilly doing whatever they want, however they want. You know, they, they actually have, you know, there actually is um, some agency presence and some agent accountability. And, and again, I think that as a whole, we have to make sure that the Railroad Commission uh, – 
has a relationship with all its operators, not just the big ones and not just the little ones, that that is that of a business partner, um, not you know, not a traffic cop. I mean, there's a bunch of people in the industry that they really feel like the railroad commission is nothing more than a big old speed trap. And we've all been in speed traps and nobody likes it whenever they feel like, you know what, this ticky tack, you know, police officer pulled me over, you know, because they're just trying to generate revenue for their little city. It just happens to be on the highway, you know, in Reeves County. So I think there's, there's uh, that's some of the things that we update with private property rights. Uh, again, I think Rule 40 is a big part of that, uh, but it's just one part. Because again, I think if you get into everything, then we'll we'll make sure that people actually, you know, know what's going on. I mean, right now, right? How often does? I mean, we've got wells that uh, that are sitting there that haven't been inspected in years. So how does that private property owner feel whenever it hasn't been inspected? Or, you know what? the company that was there didn't want to go out and get a new bond. And uh, so instead they started another company or they just left and they left tanks and batteries out there on their property and the landowner can't get them to come out there and clean it up. Um, so I think there's some things we can do from a, a business sense, Ryan, that, that again, lets the industry know we're on the job to be a good business partner. If you do something wrong, we're going to hold you accountable. And at the same time, that landowner is going to see this happening, and uh, you know it's going to kind of it's going to kind of pull the range war down uh, a good ways, and it's not going to be as hostile as it is. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think the the only thing I, I want you to tease this out for me is that in those scenarios when you mention the landowner, the landowner is the injured party, not the Texas Railroad Commission. Um, the, and, and now, the, 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 but in the land, but in the landowner's mind, who's allowed them to be injured? Well, the the oil and gas company, right? And so the oil and gas and, company, and and, and, all, and also the commission, because they feel like the commission is never showing up, or they feel like the uh, you know maybe the guy in, in maybe the guy or lady in that particular district, you know they don't they've got side deals going on with the operators. True. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm I'm not saying that that is that yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that I know that's happening, but I have been told that that's the case in some of these districts. So you know, I've got to I've got to weigh those factors. Well, no, it, okay. So here's my point, though, is that this is this and this is the I'm glad you brought that up because my point is is that when uh, businesses fear the government more than they feel the landowner. You can go and put in new government people. Um, you know, if, if big if big old just use that term wants to support Weston Martinez because they don't like what Christie's doing, well, they can go support you. Town of campaign money come in or vice versa. It doesn't really matter. Um, my, my my point is is that when these when these things happen, part of the sh- part thing we on the show we talk about is when we make mistakes as oil and gas professionals, we need to own those mistakes. Um, the landowner should be the person that is feared most in this process because they are the injured party. The Texas Railroad Commission is not the injured party. They are the people. They are supposed to be representing the people, or however you want to phrase that. But but it's the landowner's property who's been damaged, who's not been taken care of. They are the injured party. Um, so when we talk about property rights, for me, part of this discussion has to center around how do we make sure the landowner is the injured party. The landowner is receiving the most compensation. The landowner has the biggest the biggest stick that makes the oil and gas company go, oh wow. And how does the landowner hold the railroad commission responsible for not doing his job? Because that's how you protect the property rights when the landowner is the person that actually can look at both parties in this, the railroad commission 
and the oil and gas company say, hey, guess what, guys? Y'all aren't doing your job, and I'm about to make you pay. That's how people get held accountable, not by the government uh, Government saying, hey, well, guess what? We're going to tighten up the ship. It's, it's actually giving the, 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 the rights to the landowner to make sure that people on his property are held accountable. Um, so to so kind of clarify, what, what am I missing with that? So you're not missing anything. We're saying the same thing. I am 100% okay. for property rights, and I am 100% for making sure that those rights are respected. The point that I'm saying is that you also, by the Texas Constitution, have other people that have rights as well. And so, you know, we talked earlier how you have several children and how I have several children. And, you know, knowing, knowing uh, how to get involved and when to get involved is a very important thing. And so, you know, people are excited to have someone like me that is actually going to stand up for the property rights of business owners and not be taking votes to line my own pockets because my dad sits on the board of directors of an oil and gas company. That's the kind of thing that stymies uh, any sort of trust in the government or any sort of trust in the regulatory body that is that is regulating this industry. And if you have someone in there that's being fair and being predictable, then the private property rights are going to automatically be held in the proper position that they are. And they're not just going to be whisked away by saying, oh, well, you know, okay, they did it real bad to Joe's property, but, you know, that that was just, you know, we're just going to let that one go. Well, no, either we apply the rules fairly and equitably from Beaumont to El Paso and Pampa to Brownsville, or we're picking winners and losers and we're playing favorites because an operator is operating oil and gas leases that are under you know under my daddy's control and so those are those are some of the things that we have to do but to your to your other point that's also makes the case for why the commissioner should be elected and not be appointed it allows those citizens to have regular communication with them uh some of them let me say it that way and allows them the opportunity to speak directly to the person that is regulating everything i'll tell you as a commissioner your number one job is to make sure that you're representing Texans far and wide and that you're putting the public's trust and public interest first and foremost in everything that you do. And you can, you'd be surprised, but you can actually do that. You can put the public's interest first while respecting private property rights, while respecting mineral owner rights, and while respecting an operator's right to go out there and do their job. Um, and if you do that as as a railroad commissioner, a, a energy independent commissioner, as I like to call it, you know, you're going to be the cheerleader, you're going to be the judge, and in some cases, you know, you're you're going to be out there uh, holding people accountable. And that's where I think that we pull the covers back, Ryan, and people go to they say, Weston, finally we have somebody that's going to tell us the truth, whether we like it or not. And I think that is um, how we breed that environment where those operators and landowners are willing to speak up. There's so many people right now, Ryan, they don't want to speak up for fear of retribution. And that is not government in the sunshine. That is not uh, the type of agency. That's not what the agency should be about. If you're afraid of your railroad commissioner and you're afraid of the commission and you have not been a bad operator, then we got some work to do. And it's very clear by, by the, uh, by the actions that are going on with my opponent that people are ready for a change. 
Well, we are running up against the clock here. We've covered a little bit of ground, <laughs> uh, but it, it's been a good discussion. But I do have a few things I want to touch on uh, before we let you go. And, and, and really, it, it kind of encompasses this idea of uh, free markets. And so one of the things that you talked about is on your time as a railroad commissioner, I mean, as, your, as a real estate commissioner, uh, you made it fair. But to, to be fair to that point, it might be a fair playing field. But some of the Texas restrictions on real estate agents, especially those moving from out of the, out, you know, if you're licensed in Oklahoma or wherever, it doesn't matter. Um, your restrictions on moving to the state of Texas are as stringent as a state as California. And, now, and to my knowledge, California and Texas are the only two states in the lower 48, at least, that have this level of uh, bureaucracy, is what I would call it, to prevent folks from out of the state moving in. Now, we want people, I think, in Texas that, you know, that, that are like me that aren't natural-born Texans that are here. We love the state. We want to do good for the state. Um, how, how, you know, what would be your response to that? Because if I hear you say, hey, you don't want to pick winners and losers, that's fine. You can say that you're balancing the market, but you could also do that in a way that really tilts the market for people who aren't from the state of Texas that would prevent them from coming here with new ideas, innovations, and creating jobs. You know, it's it's really pretty simple. I don't care where you're coming from or where you've been. When you come to Texas, we're going to make sure that we have a regulatory environment that's fair and predictable and makes sense for Texas. You know, Texas and, and Louisiana, while we're while we're cousins, you know, it is certainly um, a little bit different environment. We have such a vast difference between you know just the geography that we represent and the types of land uh, that we actually sell that, you know, we have to make sure that we're taking things into consideration. You know, flash flooding is a big issue here in the state of Texas. And, you know, for example, with the inspectors and the appraisers, because again, if the real estate commission regulates all the realtors, all the inspectors and all the appraisers in the state of Texas. And so you might have a realtor that says, Mr. Inspector, you can't inspect past the back patio. Well, why not? Well, because there's a there's a uh, there's a little sinkhole in the back, and uh, that bubbles up with water every time there's a storm, and it floods to the back patio. But I don't want you to regulate that inside of inside of our our process inside of this inspection. So can you imagine that? But I'm telling you, that happens. And so when you're when you're dealing with things like that, and you've got uh, Legislative director, that's what most people forget about, that as commissioners, the legislature will give you directives on different things that are going on and some of the rule changes, some of the rule updates. And a lot of times you have the trade associations um, that are also part of those conversations so that those actual, so those actual, uh, you know, people uh, have their input along with the general public. And so when I'm sitting there as a, by the way, I was a public member of the real estate commission. And you know what you'll love about that, especially given the way you couched this question, I was able to be the person that was putting the citizens first and making sure that yes, you could do your business, but at the same time, you weren't, uh, you weren't hurting the citizens at the same time. So we did a lot of consolidation of a lot of rules. Um, we actually, made an IT system that works. There was, there was all, it was all paper before, like the railroad commission. And we have pretty much made every single thing you can do at the real estate commission online. And, and it actually works unlike the system that we're dealing with at the railroad commission. So in those situations, um, inspectors nowadays, they have the ability 
to fill out their report, and on the bottom of it, they can say, hey, we recommend you talk to an electrical professional or a pipe or a plumbing professional or a HVAC professional. And the reason why we had to go in there and do that is because I had, you know, we had big deals that an inspector was doing his job, and the inspector said, hey, you're deficient in this area. And the, the buyer said, whoa, I'm glad you told me that. I'm walking out of this deal. And then the realtor goes to sue the inspector because they're claiming that him telling that person the truth made them lose their sale. Now, I don't, you and I, you know, knowing you, you know, what we've talked about, you and I would not support anybody getting a frivolous lawsuit for just telling them the truth about something that they're purchasing. Uh, but when you're purchasing, when you're doing something as technical as, you know, purchasing a piece of property or drilling an oil and gas well in Texas, we want to make sure that it's done right. We want to make sure it's done efficiently, but we want to make sure that there are no corners being cut and that, you know, anything that's, that's not necessary or, you know, practice has changed. You know, we want to make sure that we're updating those things as best we can. So to, to suggest that, you know, to look at what's going on, you look at my track record as a commissioner, I have made it more business friendly. I have made it more taxpayer friendly and I have made it more uh, pro-Texas and the general population of Texas uh, friendly. My opponent has not done that. And as a railroad commissioner, I am going to do the same job over there that I've done over here. And it's going to really, it's going to benefit uh, people far and wide. So, you know, when people look at my, at the different things, that's, that's one of the things they really are excited about. Yeah, I guess we'd have to, I mean, I, I guess you could make the claim that any state in the union is different than another state for the most part. I mean, Florida is fundamentally different than Louisiana or Texas, and New York is fundamentally different than those Californias. But, but, for, but for me, the issue is is the, is the regulation, um, and this is what you see. It's not just a railroad commission. If you look at any licensing board, um, they, they tend to add on regulation on regulation. And one of the comments that you made there I find interesting is you said that you, you're working from legislative directive, I think is the term you used, that kind of influences what uh-huh. you do as a commission. Commissioner, so we, we've heard you. We've heard your platform, um, and then when you, it seems like you're saying though, as a commissioner, even though you might want to do certain things, you're going to have to do what the legislator wants. So, um, because I would push back and say, you know what, a lot of this stuff as a railroad commission, looking at a lot of these real estate commissions I have across the union, um, the Texas one is pretty regulated as far as the, the, the requirements. Like I said, it's, it's it's up there with California, which is never never when you talk about business is a good thing, um, and it seemed kind of like your pushback was, well, it comes from the legislature directive so what would you say if someone gets you elected as the railroad commissioner are you going to say then hey well i wanted to do this but the legislative directive really pushed me in a different directive so how am i missing that dot that's being connected there when we when we look at this real estate issue so 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 it's real simple uh, you can there are things that you can do as a commissioner and there are things that you are bound by law and by texas constitution that you are bound to put into action so to ask this question, can I change statewide? Can I change statewide Rule 40 by myself? Oh, yes, you're, you're an expert. Can I? Can I change it by myself? No. Right. And why is that? You, you're the one running. I've got to go to the legislature. Right. It's, it's, it's a, I got to. Go ahead. Sorry. So, so that's exactly my point. So while I have my opinion on what I want to do with statewide Rule 40, I have to, by Texas law, by Texas Constitution, I have to. I have to work with the legislature to get the legislature to make those changes so that then when they vote on them, 
they are then sent to the railroad commission to carry out. And um, you know, if I had my way, I'd do it all. I'd do it all on my own, but I can't. So there, there's certain things that the Texas Constitution gives me very, you know, gives me jurisdiction over, and there are certain things that it very clearly says is out of my jurisdiction. And again, being a conservative Republican, right? What kind of Supreme Court justices do we want? Do we want the ones that legislate from the bench? No, we don't. And we don't want railroad commissioners that are out there. Uh, doing things that are not in keeping with the intent of the law and in the intent of what was actually executed. So we want that, uh, you know, we want that fair, predictable, uh, defined regulatory environment to be carried out. And you have, again, legislative directive that uh, whether you like it or not, you have to put things, you know, you put things on the, on the street. So there are very much some things you have to do. Um, and it's it's the way it's set up. Real estate commission set up that way. Um, all the commissions are set up that way. Now, to your point, how do I influence? I work with those. I, I work with legislators through the appropriate avenues to get them to work with with bills and work with laws that are going to benefit my mission as a railroad commissioner. And that's how we. That's how I uh, provide my influence. Once it comes across the bill, once it comes across the desk from being signed on at the governor's office, you know, I may not, I may not, I may not like driving 70 miles an hour in West Texas, but Department of Public Safety says that's the law, and I can't go over it or else I get a speeding ticket. So um, that legislative directive is just like that, just like that speed limit. It says what you can do and can't do. Well, Weston, I don't know if, if if we get accused of not asking you the hard questions. I don't know what else we could have asked. I'm sure there's something that someone wanted to ask, but I feel like we've really tried to press you today, and I, I appreciate it. I, w- I want to say this. I never have claimed to be an expert on Texas legislative matters, so I don't know where you picked that up from, but I've never made that claim. I do claim to understand how bureaucracy works, and I'm not a fan of it, so I will question you always and, and anyone else to the end on that, but I've never claimed to be an expert on Texas Railroad Commission matters or legislative matters. Um so, oh, and, and look, I, and I appreciate it because, you know, what I, I truly believe, Ryan, that this is the discourse that's been missing at the Railroad Commission. And in general, this is the discourse that's been missing in the oil and gas industry in Texas. And, you know, we have to be willing to make our case and have a conversation and, you know, not run the commission like, uh, you know, like a dictator. Um, you know, you didn't ask me about funding. <clears throat> I'll tell you. Uh, one of the things that I think we need to do that's a, that's that's a, that's I've got to go to the legislature for. I think we need to talk to the legislature about giving more general revenue dollars to the railroad commission. And the reason why is because the railroad commission and the the operators and the you know the business of the oil and gas industry in Texas generates so much revenue and generates so much benefit to the state of Texas. And you don't have to look any further than the rainy day fund to see just how much the, uh, the oil and gas industry is benefiting Texas over and beyond uh, what is happening. And I think if we do that as an example and really, you know, take a hard look at where we need to be spending our dollars, um, I think that if we do that, that's another way where we can reduce fees and taxes that are currently being placed on the industry. And, uh, but again, I can't do that all by myself, even though I'd like to, I have to engage in the legislative process. Ironically, the tax that my opponent created, you know, she's not showing up to forum. She sent her dad to a forum in Odessa. People were very uh, disgusted by that. 
And he, he said for her that the water letter fee slash tax was created for, uh, to, to pay for a service provided. And that if they didn't charge them, that the citizens were going to have to pay that fee. Well, that is a flat out lie. That fee, that water letter fee was provided for free for years by TCEQ. In fact, they moved the office that did the, uh, the water letters, moved it into the railroad commissions to be more business friendly, to get those out quicker. And the groundwater advisory unit has been operating and providing that for free to Texans for years. And Craddock used the excuse, we need more money as an agency, and that's why we have to put this fee tax on the industry. That is, that is not, that is not good government principle. That is not free market principles, and that is not who Weston Martinez is. Weston Martinez is the conservative Republican in this race. And, Ryan, I'm the only one in this race that endorsed Ted Cruz and then endorsed Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. Okay, Weston. Well, look, I want to make sure that people, if they want to find out more about you, they can. But first, I'll say this. Um, we, we don't normally cover a lot of politics on this show. And so we have, I said it before, I said it last time, I said it again, you know, we, we, you know, being someone who considers himself a, a conservative, I'm always leery of, of, of politicians who run against my position, obviously, but especially those who run for it, because you know, we see so many times folks that want to pander to, to our side of the aisle. I do appreciate you coming on and answering the questions. Um, I know there's a lot more we get to. We've gone almost an hour now or 45 minutes. So I know we've got to, <laughs> we've got to, we can't just keep going forever. I'm sure we could. Um, but you're very active on social media. Um, I know you've been touring the state, as you mentioned. Um, so I'm sure that some of the listeners might have more questions. Um, so go ahead, plug your website or Twitter or whatever events that you have so that people are interested in finding out more about your platform. Uh, they can do that. Sure, absolutely. So you can follow me at, follow me on Twitter at Weston Martinez. And uh, you can also follow me on Facebook at Weston Martinez. And, um, you know, our website is westonfortexas.com, Weston, W-S-T-O-N, frtexas.com and you can see on there again to be transparent i have included all of my answers to agencies that have sent me uh surveys to fill out and questionnaires to fill out like the dallas morning news um you know people like that you know i've got all those questions on there and you can see where i stand on seismicity issues and things like that you know that are certainly more in the uh, in the bread and butter of what we're doing in the oil and gas business, so you can see where I've talked about those things because I, I want you to know exactly where my positions are. I, I don't want you to vote for me just because I don't want you to vote for me just because I'm the conservative or just because I'm the only one that endorsed Ted Cruz and Donald Trump or just because I've got the most service as a commissioner uh, or because I had oil and gas experience. I want you to vote for me because you know what I sincerely look forward to doing this job and I know about what we're regulating. And, you know, people like Ryan, I love visiting with because I try to learn more from people like this and people in the industry every single day. Well, if you're trying to learn from me, you set the bar too low, Weston. <laughs> find, some, <laughs> find some smarter people to learn from. Uh, don't don't scrape the bottom of the barrel with folks like me. But I do appreciate that. Um, well, look. Um, so we we will get if you. you... Want, if you want, I can come back on and we can talk about uh, pigs and plugging and uh, rope soap and dope and uh, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, no. Well, what what what, what we said before? I say we, Josh. It no, I always just say we. But um, what I said before you came on is is that you know we've got you on. We've offered. Uh, 
Commissioner Crant to come on. We'll see if she accepts our invitation or not. But, you know, we really don't do a lot of politics other than maybe um, about po- talk about policy. We don't really do campaign stuff. Yep. So we're not going to do this. We're, um, this, is, this isn't a normal platform for us. But we wanted to get you on. We wanted to hopefully get Commissioner Craddock on and let the listeners hear. You know, we've got a very diverse audience in the textile and gas industry. Uh, we want to let them hear. And we want to, you know, kind of ask what we hope that they would want to ask. And uh, obviously we can't ask everything. There's a ton of issues I'm sure that folks want to hear about. Which is why we want to point them in your direction and let you ask them. Yep. And uh, this, and, you know, and one thing we said before on the last recording we did with Josh, and I don't know if I said it here or not, but you know, the one thing I want I want to say publicly is that you did not. There was no stipulations on this. There wasn't any off limit questions or anything from either side of this conversation. So you were uh, gracious enough to let us ask whatever um, you know we wanted to, and there was no limitations from your side of it. So that was that was nice. Um, but Weston, thank you so much for coming on twice now. Hopefully, the next time we get you on, we can just talk about good old oil and gas industry stuff and not not all of these silly questions about government overreach and oversight. <laughs> I, hey, yeah. hey, and and, let, and let's, give, let's give a shout-out to Josh and his wife and pray that, that she has a great delivery today, and God bless them. Yes, yes, thank you for that. I'll be sure to pass along that note. I will uh, talk with him. I've got another podcast I'm getting ready to record right after this one, and I will uh, check in with him. But, Weston, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, on behalf of the Texas Oil and Gas listeners, we, we appreciate you, and uh, good luck in the race. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you.